Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 16 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to turn there. And we were working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. You know, as I grow older and um, even as I've uh, just been walking with the Lord over the years, you know, I'd really get focused and zoned in on, I don't know, different topics or ideas, and I would hone on on these things in the Bible. I'd get really excited about them, then I'd start to study them deeply, which I think is healthy, which I think is good. But I am learning more and more as, as time goes on that I want my main focus to be on the Lord Jesus. I remember asking an older man, um, a pastor who mentored me long ago, I remember I was in my 20s and I was kind of confused about a lot of Christianity um, as I was diving into just deep theology and trying to understand what that scholar thinks and what that scholar thinks and what this pastor is saying and how to mash it all together and which one's right and who's wrong and trying to go back and forth on these ideas. And I said, John, how do I get perfect theology he said this to me look at jesus he said look at the person of jesus and i love this ambiguous uncalculated answer it's like wait wait that that's so vague that's so general look at jesus like why would you tell me that like give me the theologian give me the pastor who's got it all right and that's the point no one has it all right only Lord Jesus does. And I believe that as you get your eyes on the Lord, and as you focus on him through every season of life, those right theological points, those right doctrinal things will continue to be anchored in your life over and over and over, and you will find yourself closer to him. Which Jesus do we look at? The Jesus of the Bible. That's it. You open the word. As you read through the Old Testament, compare and contrast it with the Gospels. As you read through the New Testament letters, compare and contrast it with the Gospels. You always got to get back to Jesus and what he was doing. And this is how you get, watch this, Jesus' worldview. So you see through his eyes over and over through every topic that you're trying to figure out. Okay? So I'm loving this series. Matthew chapter 16 today. We're working through the book of Matthew. This is sermon number 65 through the book of Matthew. And if you're just joining us, we do work verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So uh, pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, pull out your Bible, and we will work through the text together and you can read it with me. This, the title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is Give Me Something More. Give me something more. One Sunday, maybe you heard this story, a pastor told his congregation that the church needed a little extra funds and he asked the people to prayerfully consider giving a little extra in the offering plate. And he said that whoever gave the most would be able to pick out three hymns. Three hymns. After the offering plates were passed, the pastor glanced down and noticed that someone had placed $1,000 in the offering. He was so excited that he immediately shared his joy with the congregation and said he'd like to personally thank the person who placed that in the offering basket. There was a little old lady there in the front row named Rosie, all the way there. 
She shyly raises her hand in the back. The pastor says, please, 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 come up to the front, come up to the front. So she slowly made her way up to the pastor and he told her how wonderful it was that she gave so much. And in Thanksgiving, he asked her to pick out three hymns. Her eyes brightened as she looked out over the congregation and she pointed out, I'll take him and him and him. Come on, it's just a joke, lighten up. Have you ever heard someone say, God, show me and I'll believe? Show me and I'll believe. Have you ever heard a Christian who knows the Lord and has known the Lord for a long time but says, Lord, give me a sign and I'll keep on believing? Lord, give me a sign and I'll keep on believing. Well, a lot of people do this. You know, we we say, Lord, show us, show me something. Please, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And I think there's something in this society because we love Amazon Prime and we love two-day delivery and we we like these these fast-moving stuff. We're always desiring something more. We always want something more. Give me more. Even as a Christian, even walking with the Lord for 20 years, I find myself asking for more. Lord, give me a sign. Please. And could it be Family, that all that we need is sitting right in front of us. All that we need has been sitting right in front of us this whole time. Through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, we see believers, we see non-believers asking for more when the obvious is staring them in the face. We're going to look at our text today and find this to be true as the Lord teaches his disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees once again. We are in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Not my words. My words can't do anything for you. Well, Again, it may motivate and encourage a little bit, but it cannot transform the mind or the heart. I don't have the power or means to do that, but God's word somehow magically does this. It somehow gets into our story. It gets into our lives. The Bible even says it discerns the thoughts of a person. It cuts into the marrow of the bones. It gets into us. And so that's why we anchor in God's word each and every week and i'm telling you church even if you're not here with us at legacy for the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years please anchor back in the word of god over and over and over again in your marriage in your family with your kids and find a church that is always ministering the word of god it will pay you dividends and bring forth gold and silver in your life like you cannot believe matthew chapter 16 look at verse 1 in our bibles The Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seek for a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away, and coming to the other side of the sea, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. 
And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they began to discuss this amongst themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets full you, you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. We pray that you would illuminate the text, that our eyes would glow, that our hearts would burn, that our minds would grow, to worship you more and to look more closer and lock eyes with you, Jesus. You are the Lord. You are the King. We look to you now in, today in your word, and we ask you to bless this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we left off with the Lord traveling to a pagan city about 65 miles from his home to meet a Canaanite woman. Do you remember? A picture of some... Some, a picture some of the disciples would have never found themselves in. And really a person the disciples would have never approached. A woman, number one, in their culture. A bunch of guys aren't going to approach a woman. Number two, a pagan woman of the Canaanites. They are in Sidon or Tyre, which is Lebanon. And uh, they make their way in. And actually one of our church members last week who came from Lebanon, she was telling me, that might have been a woman of a completely other faith that were completely contrary to the Jews. And I was because they live in Lebanon. And she says, I grew up in Lebanon and I understand the conflict even to this day. I was like, wow, amazing insight. But Jesus approached her even though nobody else would in his culture. And her persistence in faith proved to be a lesson for us all. Do you remember? Even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Lord, can I have some crumbs? He says, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. As you said, it will be done. Your daughter is healed. And the demon-possessed daughter of this Canaanite woman was healed. We were reminded that the gospel is for everyone, even those we would probably never save. That guy I'd never save. That I would never save them. Our story picks up with not only Pharisees, but Sadducees coming to test Jesus trying to trap him again. Look at the text, verse 1, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Remember who the Pharisees and Sadducees are? These are the elite religious sects in Judaism. And the Pharisees were those who were holding to their own man-made traditions, adding to the word of God. Remember that, write that down. They were those who held to the traditions of man that they made up, adding to the word of God. And the Sadducees were those who didn't believe everything in the word of God. For instance, they didn't believe in the resurrection of a person after they died. And see, that's why they were sad, you see. God damn. <laughs> tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> Dad joke. 
There were those who would take away from the word of God. And that's why they were sad, you see. I like the way R. Kent Hughes put it. He says, what were these two groups doing together? The overly ritualistic with the overly rationalistic. The super serious with the super sophisticated. The legalist with the modernist. They are together because Jesus threatens them. Because Jesus not only holds to the word of God, but he is the word of God. And when he speaks, he cuts right through all the religious extra. He, he gets right through the cloud and gets right to their heart. These two groups get together and approach Jesus to test him, asking for a sign from heaven. Now, why would they do that? They are doing this because Jesus claims to be sent from heaven. He says he is the son of God. You can't just walk around saying that. I am the son of almighty God. Really? Did you do a magic trick or something? If you are God, you surely have some power. He claims to be the Messiah, the savior of the world. He claims to be a king of another kingdom, a hidden kingdom, which no one can see. Really, where is your kingdom? So they want a heavenly sign. Make the sun stand still. Make a comet shoot across the sky. Pull a cosmic rabbit out of your hat, they ask. The problem is they overlook all that Jesus has just done, healing all who are sick who came to him, walking on water, calming the weather and the storms. He just did that. Casting out demons, feeding thousands of people with a sack lunch. He's done the unbelievable already in front of their eyes, and the crowds know it, and the town knows it, and the cities know it. They've heard the stories. They've heard the rumors, but they want something else. Give me something more, they ask. Oftentimes, this is exactly what people do. The miracle they need is standing right in front of them, but they overlook it and ask for another because they don't want to believe in it. You remember the story of the guy who was out there and a storm came and he got thrown out into the water, into the sea, and all of a sudden he's out there by himself and he's drowning. And he says, God, please help me, please help me. And all of a sudden some guy paddles by in a boat, says, hey man, you doing okay? No, no, I'm waiting for a bigger boat. He's like, really, you don't wanna jump in? No, no, I'm okay. Then another one comes up and they throw a lifesaver out to him and say, man, grab the lifesaver. He says, no good, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. There, there's gonna be a bigger boat coming along, I believe it, you know, I'm looking for something else. Well, the man drowns and goes to heaven and he says, God, why didn't you save me? The Lord says, you idiot, I sent you a dinghy and a boat with a lifesaver. How did you not see it? What's standing right in front of them and they don't even wanna believe it, the biggest one, that the Bible declares, aside from Jesus, is the universe. The universe itself, the heavens itself, is the greatest sign that tells us there is a creator. There is a God. This masterpiece can't just show up from nothing and no one. Listen to the text. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says this, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. They suppress the truth by their own wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, Paul says. 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. You see it? Though everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible attributes and qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. People say there is no God. Show me. Really? Romans 1 says that all of creation, the earth and the heavens, the plants and animals, the skies and the mountains declare that there is a God. And you look it square in the face and you declare there is no creator. There is no God. Why do you do that? The Bible says in Romans 1 that they are suppressing the truth. They know it to be true, but they don't like it. And so they don't want to receive it. Now, some of the intellectuals of the world say, no, that's not true. I just need to reason through it. Really? Come on a journey with me. Let's reason. Let's talk. Let me ask you this. When you find information, you have to ask where it came from. And when we find information, we logically always conclude it came from a mind. If you find information anywhere, you look at a sign, you conclude it came from a mind. Someone designed and created it. Let me ask you this. If you had found a handwritten note sitting on the ground, would you ever conclude it came from nothing? Or it magically appeared with no one ever writing it? Let me ask you this. If you were on a hike through a rock area and you found a tablet thousands of years old, would you ever conclude it came from weather patterns and flooding and volcanic activity that etched into the rock and wrote the words, I'm going to love you forever, baby? No. No one would ever conclude that and had a giant heart around it. No, you would conclude that a mind did that. Someone with a brain wrote that and drew a heart around it. Let's take it a step further. If you of all people got to get on Elon Musk's spaceship and travel to Mars and be the first person to walk on Mars, as you were walking, you see this yellow ball blowing by you and you're like, whoa, it's glowing. What is that yellow ball? And you run up to it and you pick it up and you see it's a yellow wrapper. And you open it up to find the magical words, double cheeseburger. With the giant red arches on it, you found a McDonald's wrapper on Mars. Would you ever conclude in a million years that the weather patterns, given enough time and evolution, the sun hitting the planet just right, the acid rains and the mixture of all of it over 10 million years would develop this yellow McDonald's double cheeseburger wrapper perfectly designed and centered on the paper so that when you fold it on top of a burger, it says double cheeseburger on the top. No one would ever conclude that. Doesn't matter how many millions of years you give it. Information declares a mind. Do you know what is far more complex than a double cheeseburger wrapper? The universe. Our solar system, Earth, and its billions of intricacies. Do you know how much information is stored up in every cell of a human? A bug, an animal, plants, trees, Producing fruit, the ocean, the atmosphere, there is more information than anyone could ever calculate. And we magically conclude that the most complex things came from nothing. They magically showed up out of nowhere. A big explosion happened and we all showed up randomly. This is a big random experiment. No mind, no brain, no creator. They magically created themselves like the double cheeseburger wrapper on Mars. It is impossible. 
There are 3.1 to 3.2 billion base pairs in the human genome, in your DNA. We get that from each parent. A human's genetic code contains 6 billion letters. And when this is divided by 8 bits per byte, it equates to 1.5 gigabytes per human for your DNA. 1.5 gigs per person for your DNA. But when multiplied, do you know how many cells you have in your body? 40 trillion. So when multiplied by 40 trillion cells, this is 60 zettabytes of information. Anyone have a zettabyte hard drive to store one human on? Anyone? That's a lot, isn't it? There are 8 billion humans on the planet times 60 zettabytes of information. Double cheeseburger. Where did all this information come from? But, oh wait, there's more. There are more chickens than humans. 18 billion to be exact. At least we humans outnumber the cattle, 1.4 billion, and sheep, 1.1 billion. Those numbers pale in comparison to the insect world, though. For example, scientists estimate there are over 10 trillion ants alive at one time. And they all magically know, are pre-programmed, how to build those holes in caves and collect for the winter. Based upon those numbers, some scientists estimate that the total insect population is 10 quintillion, which is 10 billion billion. That figure has led at least one expert to estimate the total animal population on Earth to be about 20 quintillion or 20 billion billions of animals on the planet right now, and all of them have DNA, and all of them have information in their cells. That's a lot of information, all pre-programmed like bees, to do what they do, make honey. No one has to tell them what to do, they magically do it. They make candy for us. They are nat a natural candy factory, peach trees, strawberry plants, all pre-programmed, all information. We haven't even touched on the stars, planets, and galaxies. This is just on one little planet called Earth. And this all just showed up with no buying behind it. All this information. There is a creator. It's the only conclusion. You don't need a sign from heaven. The heavens and creations are the sign. The heavens and creation is the sign. It's staring at you. You feel it when you look at a sunset. This is wild. This painting is far beyond the one in my house, and that one in my house is worth some bucks. It gets to us. And Romans 1 declares that the person who stares at all of this and says there is no one behind this is a fool. The Psalms say the fool says in their heart, no God. And that's not a put down, that's the truth. If someone was to look at the double cheeseburger on Mars and say, no, no, evolution did this, everyone would laugh at them. It's clear, it's before us. There clearly is a God. Jesus is standing there as a Jew looking into the Pharisees and Sadducees' eyes. He has done all of these miracles. He has said all of these amazing truths and things, staring them in the eyes, and they say, not the Messiah. How? 
You guys know the Old Testament. You know the Torah. You know the Pentateuch. How can you get this wrong? It's because they don't want to believe. Look at how Jesus answers them as they want a sign from heaven that he is who he says he is. Look at verse 2. But he replied to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? Cannot discern the signs of the times? The Lord says, you guys can predict the weather to some degree by looking at the cloud patterns in the morning and in the sky. You can discern, and you can't discern who is standing right in front of you. You can discern the weather, but you can't discern the Messiah. Haven't I made it obvious, Jesus is saying. And I think this is true sometimes in our lives, family, especially as believers. Say, give me more. The Lord said, haven't I shown you? Haven't we been together for a little while? What more do I need to show you? I am the one he's telling us. Abide in me. Walk with me, and I will anchor you through life. Look at verse 4. He says, An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign, and a sign will not be given to it except the sign of who, church? Jonah. And he left them and went away. That's what he said. Close the curtains, show's over. He didn't give him any sign. He says, you already got a sign, and it's the sign of Jonah. And they scratch their heads. Jesus says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, only an evil and promiscuous spouse desires another person, husband or wife, to cheat with, run off with, when they got a great spouse and family at home. You want another sign when you have a beautiful one at home standing in front of you. He says this kind of generation gets no sign except the sign of Jonah. He's telling the religious, you already have it right in front of you. Why you got to run off all to the other gods and other things of the world and other so-called messiahs when I'm standing right in front of you? And he calls them an adulterous generation. And he uses the word evil. That's why I use the word promiscuous. This gives us a great picture. We got a great setup at home. Why do we need to run on? We don't need to. Let us love our spouse. Let us love our kids. Let us love our family. Let us love our God. Let us get on with it. It's already settled. It's over. We've made up our minds. We're moving forward. What sign is this sign of Jonah? What is this sign? Matthew 12, 39, Jesus points it out. He says, only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miracle and sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he explains it, verse 40 of Matthew 12. For Jonah, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah, remember, we talked about it a little bit last week. He's like, I'm going on a cruise. You know, God's like, no, you're not. You're supposed to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no, no, I'm going on a cruise, and I'm going to Spain, and I don't want to go to Nineveh. They're a bunch of crazy people killing uh, pe my people. Why would I want to go there and preach the gospel to them and call them to repentance? I'm not doing that. You might save them, God. And God says, no, um, we're going to change those plans. You're going. You're going, Jonah. I'm sending a whale and uh, you remember Jonah was thrown overboard, and he's actually sacrificed himself, and he threw himself overboard, 
And then the whale came up and swallowed him, and he was in the belly of that whale three days, three nights. Then he was brought up to the shore of Nineveh, and he was thrown up by the whale onto the shore, and then he walked through Nineveh preaching the gospel. Jesus said, this is the sign that you get. What sign? He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the ground three days, three nights. He says, the sign I give to you is my death, burial, and resurrection. This is your sign. This is your sign. And you don't get another one. The resurrection is the sign, if you're taking notes. Point number one, the resurrection is the sign. What Jesus de did and said was true. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, The resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. Look, it's easy to prove there's a God. That's a piece of cake. Now, proving that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God is another step deeper. But we can prove this as well. And Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers from the 1800s, says, this is a fact. C.S. Lewis says, Jesus, the great writer, said, Jesus has forced open a door that, he, that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. The great intellectual and writer C.S. Lewis says, this is what Christ has done. He has broke down death. He has beaten the king of death. Here's a staggering statistic, right? One out of every one person will die. Did you know that? We will. We can't get away from it, huh? Nobody escapes death. Death respects nobody. But how many people will rise from the dead actually? How many do you think and continue living on? We only know of one man to ever do that in his name, the only one who ever make a claim to do that. Physical resurrection is Jesus. In his resurrection, he has testified to us that what he came to do and say is true. And I'm telling you, if I said a bunch of crazy stuff, like I can actually personally forgive you of your sins. I am the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you should worship. If I started saying stuff like that, uh, you should just pick up rocks and throw them at me, okay? Just do that. No, but seriously, you can't go around saying stuff like that that puts you in the loony bin. You go around saying stuff like that, nobody's going to listen to you. Say, that dude's a little out there. He's crazy. Jesus says, I am this person. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, would say he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's actually the Messiah. He's actually telling the truth. So Jesus says, the way you're going to know, the sign that I give to you, that I am telling the truth, and everything that I have said in this Bible is true, is I will raise myself from the dead. The resurrection is the center of Christianity. Without this proof, Christianity isn't true. Jesus is dead, and everything he said was bogus. Throw your Bible away. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we... None of what we say or do is true. It's the honest truth. So I always tell skeptics, if you want to disprove anything, disprove the resurrection. If you can get in there and dismantle that thing, you've won. Here's the great thing. They can't do it. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Are you ready? Number one, the tomb is empty. I've been there to Israel, and I've been to where they so call this 
tomb of Christ in the garden where there was a cistern right outside the city next to Golgotha. They believe this is the place. If you want to go to Israel with us sometime, get ready, strap on your seatbelts. We will go together. We've been a couple times, and uh, we will be planning a trip uh, probably within the next year or two. And so I told you guys this a couple weeks ago. Just start saving your chips. Plan a little bit. It'll probably be around $3,500 to four grand per person because we go... Uh, we go to the best hotels, we're going to go the best food, we're going to go the best buses, it's going to be comfortable, it's a wonderful trip, and it'll be about 10 days, so strap on your seatbelts and see if you can join us, you will go to that tomb and we will see it together, it's an amazing trip. But I want to ask this question, how do you lose the body of the most famous person to ever walk the earth? Oops, we lost his tomb and his body. How? How? They literally know where the tombs and graves of so many are, and they have found them on the planet. They've searched high and low. Uh, pharaohs from thousands of years ago. You mean you can't find the body of Jesus from just 2,000 years ago? How did you lose it? People say they stole the body. Really? They stole it. Then why were there, why does the text say that uh, the, the, the grave clothes were folded and put back in place, left there? Wouldn't they just pick up the body and take him? The text is the most important thing. Really, the challenge is, is the New Testament a historical accurate document? An ancient historical accurate document that we can trust. First, we can't find the body. As you take these points and put them together, it is like weaving a rope together with many strands, and it will hold up to any argument. Each one of them placed together, you put them all together, and this is where you get the proof of the resurrection. Number one, the tomb is empty. Number two, all the disciples who saw him resurrected died saying it was true according to church history. They were tortured and killed, and you would think one of them would have just said, hey dude, it's a big goof, it's a joke, don't torture me. How can every single one of these disciples go to their death saying it was true, 100%? St. Peter, according to church history, was crucified upside down. St. Andrew, after having been scourged seven times upon his naked body, was crucified. St. James was beheaded by Herod. St. John was thrown down a cauldron into a cauldron of boiling oil by Domitian, but God delivered him. Then he was banned to the island of Patmos by himself. Philip was scourged and crucified and hanged. Bartholomew was put to death by the Roman governor. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. Thomas was shot to death with arrows in India. James the Less was thrown down from the pinnacle of the temple at Jerusalem, and they beat him with clubs after he fell down. They pushed him off. Simon was crucified, and then he was buried in Britain. Jude was cruelly put to death by the Magi in Persia. Matthias, the successor of Judas Iscariot in the Christian tradition, is to also be credited, or be credited, was put to death three times, crucified, stoned, then beheaded. How do every single one of these guys, and then Paul the Apostle, of course, we know, also died for the faith, in prison and then put to death, potentially beheaded? How do every single one say, no, he rose from the dead and we're not going to stop preaching it? Now that message permeated all of the area and it's still reaching us today. 
Could it be that it really was true? Point number three, or rope strand number three, is the historical document and accuracy of the New Testament Bible that declares all of these teachings. Do you know that we have 5,600 copies of the New Testament, which is very important in, in trying to understand whether or not an ancient document is accurate or not? The amount of copies we have of it, we are able to contrast to see how accurate they are. Second thing we have to do is figure out how much time it has been since the first document was produced to the next copy. And what textual scholars basically go through these things and they compare them to great pieces like Plato and Homer and Aristotle, these ancient documents, and they compare them right next to the Bible. And you can do this. You can search this in on, on Google. Just type in, is the Bible historically accurate? And then type in words like Plato, Homer, Aristotle, and you will see a graph that will compare and contrast how accurate these things are. It is incredible. 5,600 documents as early as 30 years of time to being the space to declaring uh, when it was written from the original. 5,600 copies. You look at these other masterpieces that we consider to be absolutely accurate, like Aristotle, Plato, and Homer. The greatest one we have is like 800 copies of it compared to 5,600 manuscripts of the New Testament. There is no question that the New Testament Bible is the most accurate historical ancient document we have on the planet. Now, a lot of people don't like that, but it's just the truth. You can see it for yourself. And if it is the truth, then these writings are actually accurate and true. And when it said, this is rope strand number four, when it says that 500 people witnessed Jesus after the resurrection at one time walking the earth after his death, if that is true, then he definitely rose from the dead. How many witnesses does it take to prove someone guilty in a court of law? And the text says there were 500 who saw him at one time. All the disciples said they saw him and they went to their deaths for it. The final point and the final strand of rope is that Jesus Christ magically seems to be transforming and changing lives still to this day. How can there be so many testimonies on the planet of Christ coming and impacting a person's life and changing the trajectory of their life forever? People having experiences with God, people having dreams, people meeting the Lord in different ways. How can this be? Is everyone in an illusion? Or is he actually working and alive? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, it shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus told these Pharisees and Sadducees, you want a sign, you evil religious? The sign is the resurrection. He says, I got a challenge. Show up to my funeral. There's going to be a show. After you guys are the ones who will actually put me to death, you Pharisees and Sadducees. You are the guys who are going to murder me, and I want you to show up to my funeral, and I'm going to put on a show. He rose from the dead. Verse 5, take a look at our text. It goes a little faster to the end. And coming to the other side of the sea, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. The scene changes, and they forgot bread again. The disciples are the guys who always show up 
to the meal and they forgot their wallet. So Jesus has to pay all the time. You forgot to bring bread again. Okay, I'll do the bread thing. Look at verse 6. And Jesus said to them, watch out and be fair, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, the disciples, he said that because we did not bring bread. What? Are you listening, disciples? Just because Jesus said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they concluded, he said that because we didn't bring bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? He caught them. Jesus had super hearing like Superman. He could hear a mile away. And he says, why do you think I was talking about bread? Is that because you're hungry, Peter? Where is your faith? Where are your spiritual ears? Look at verse 9. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Don't you remember the big baskets, boys? Verse 10. Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? Don't you remember? I provided more than enough. The Lord is saying, how can you guys even start to think about bread when I bring up leaven and the Pharisees and Sadducees? This has nothing to do with food. And why do you even think that Direction, don't you remember that question is already answered? I fed 5,000, then I fed 4,000, two different times. I fed thousands of people, and you guys are still trying to figure out who's going to pay the bill. You're still trying to figure out bread still. Jesus said these exact words, do you not yet understand or remember, verse 9. I love this. Don't you remember? This is so like us, it's so like me. The Lord is trying to teach us a spiritual lesson as we are caught up worrying about whether or not he is going to provide lunch. A lesson and a miracle he showed and taught us a long time ago. I don't know what you have forgotten, the miracles God has done for you in the past, but I hope you haven't forgotten, church. I hope you can remember vividly. Because as you do, it keeps you healthy to keep growing in your current state. If you, if you have to learn the lessons of the past over and over and over again, you never grow. So you have to, when God does something, you got to remember what he's done and you got to anchor in that and remember what he's done. And then when, when trials come in the future and when things break out in the future and you don't know what's going on, you see a storm, you have to remember back that he showed up, that he took care of you that he's still doing miracles he always had. Don't you remember the feeding of the five and the four? Don't you remember the miracle? The bread's already here. Why are we even talking about bread? Of course I'm gonna take care of you. This is why it is important, church family, little tip, it's important to journal and document what the Lord has done in your life so you don't forget. And maybe as you journal and you write down what the what the Lord has done, you start writing it. The Lord showed up here and he did this and he did this and he did this. And you write down and all the emotion starts to come back and you start to paint the picture of what was happening in the scenario. And then at any time in the future, you can go back to that thing and look at it and read it and say, oh my gosh, the Lord pulled through for me right there. Watch this. Quick tip. Are you ready? One day your kids find your journal. They open it. As they start to read about how dad and mom leaned on the Lord and trusted in the Lord and waited on the Lord and God is the one who showed up. 
And he's the one who is faithful and he's the one who pulled through. And then they're reminded in their future that God is going to show up and that God's going to pull through. Church, that's your homework for this week. I don't know how you want to do it. But if God's done something great in your life, maybe he's done 10 great things, maybe go back and start to write the story of life and write down maybe 10, maybe five amazing things that you're grateful for that you saw God do, the tangible miracles. Don't forget the feeding of the 5,000 and say, where's the bread? Don't do it. We gotta remember the Lord, sit down, take time to write out the great things, how God has been faithful and good to you. All the times you worried and he pulled through. Man, I got lots of them. I got lots of them, and I've forgotten so many. But man, when I write it down, I can go back to it any time. Deuteronomy 6, 12, and take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't forget. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Remember the things of old. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of old. I will meditate on all you have done. I will ponder the works of your hands, O Lord. Psalm 119.55, I will remember your name in the night. O Lord, I will keep your law. I will remember your name in the night. You're sitting there and you can't sleep. Remember the Lord. Get your eyes on Jesus. It's not give me more. It's, Lord, I remember what you've done. You are enough. You're everything that I need. You took care of me then. You're going to take care of me now. You're going to take care of me in the future. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my school. Forget not all of his benefits. Did you know this? Even if you forget the Lord, he will never forget you. One of my favorite verses. Listen to this. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget... Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You are continually before me, God says. He said, even if it was possible that a woman could somehow forget her nursing child, God says, I will never forget you. I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. You're my kids. You're my children. I love you. Look at verse 11 and 12, and we close. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leavened bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Disciples were a little thick-headed. Me too. It has to be said so many different ways for me to actually get it. Jesus was warning them of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and I want you to remember as well. The Pharisees added to the word of God. Traditions, we've got to do all these extra things, all these extra works to get to heaven. No, you don't. All you got to do is believe the word of God says. The Sadducees, they would take away from the word of God. They didn't like certain things in it. Say, we're doing, throwing this one out, we're throwing that out. We don't like that, we're not believing that. Kind of sounds like what we have going on today a little bit. You should know this, church, the Word of God is not a buffet. You don't walk up and be like, I like this, I don't like that, I like this, I don't like that, I'm going to take some of this, I don't want to take that. No, no, take the whole shebang. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word manifest before us. Well, what do you do, pastor, when you get to a passage in the Bible that you don't agree with? You change your mind. 
Do you change your mind? I trust God before I trust myself. Trust me. I know me. I need God. We need to beware of a little bit of leaven. Ideas have consequences. A little bit of leaven in bread, those of you who cook, cook bread know what I'm talking about. A little bit of leaven will cause the whole batch to rise. All it takes is a little bit. And a little bit of bad ideas about God produces an entire religion. Produces an entire movement that misses God. We have to be careful not to be asking for something more or something different. I'm telling you that Jesus is right there. You don't need another sign. You don't need another way. Abide in the Lord and you will produce more fruit in life than you could ever imagine. We don't need to add or take away from it. It's complete. All you need is found in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work you've done in us today. And Lord, many are saying, give me more, give me a sign, give me this. And Lord Jesus, we say to you today, we just want you. You have been more than enough in the past. You are more than enough today. And you will be more than enough in the future. So please, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Save us. Bring us close to you. Help us in these situations. Help us to remember your goodness and grace. Help us to remember your faithfulness. Help us to remember how awesome you are. And Lord, I pray for everyone gathered here today. Maybe there are some who don't know you yet. I pray, Father, that you would draw them close to yourself. They would see that they've been separated from you by sin. They would see that you died for their sin and have brought forgiveness on the cross. They would see that in your death, burial, and resurrection, you want to promise them resurrection in this life life in that abundantly right now, resurrection now, and resurrection in the life to come, in heaven with you for eternity. Oh, Father, teach each one of us to love you and to love one another, our neighbor, the people around us, for your glory. I pray, Lord, that we would all repent and turn to you with all of our hearts. We get away from those things keeping us from you. We would turn to you with all of our hearts. We believe on you as Lord and Savior over our lives. We just want you. We need you, Lord draw us close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.